It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And that's a good thing. I love Christmas. I love this season. I love Advent. What does that mean? Advent literally means arrival or coming of Christ. And this time of year, just a tradition here at Clackamas Bible Church is we have the candles of Advent. And each one of them will be lit. There's a fifth one, the Christ candle, that will be lit on the fourth Sunday to usher in Christmas um, on Tuesday of that week. But each one of these candles represents something about who Jesus Christ is. And I chose for this season of Advent to talk about Christ from the vantage point of the four Gospels, the four authors that wrote about him in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They each come at it from a little different look, a little different take, and they all want us to see something about Jesus. Now, with that said, I want to be clear that a lot of what they say is the same. Probably a majority of what they say is the same. But each one of them has just a little different look at who Jesus is. And so each Sunday I want to take, starting with Matthew, a different look at who Jesus is. And my prayer is that as we enter into this Advent season and welcome in Christmas and the birth of Jesus, that we're reminded of who he is as a person. I think sometimes with the four Gospels, I think the authors want us to see all aspects, the fullness of Jesus. Because I think sometimes what happens is we can get locked into a certain aspect of who Jesus is. And what we need to see from Scripture is that our Messiah, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus, He's so much. He's so much. He's not just a man, although He is. He's not just the Savior. He's not just the King. He's not just God Almighty. He's all of the above and then some. And that's what we're going to hopefully see as we go through these portraits. So just to give you a heads up as where we're moving today, Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. He is the promised one. He is the Messiah. He is Christ, the anointed one. And we're going to see from the book of Matthew and the story of the wise men today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. He is our king. What does that mean? Then next week, Mark we go from he's the king to he's a servant. It's like they're put back to back, but very different. He is fully the king, but yet he is fully a, a servant of all who's going to come and give his life as a ransom for many. We'll see that next week. Then Luke, we've been talking about Luke. We should, hopefully we're a little more familiar with his story. He presents Jesus in the sense of he is the son of man. He is the promised one from the Old Testament, but he's man, and Luke is a doctor, and he presents Christ in that manner. He wants us to see, and I think it's important for us to understand that he is fully man. And then John. John is the most unique of the four, has the most unique stories and accounts in his book of all the other three, because he wants us to see Jesus in his deity. He's not just a man, he's fully God. And so from the way the book of John starts for all the way through the end, we see a, different, a little bit different picture of Jesus, but yet it's the same. We see him as fully God, fully man, fully God. So that's where we're going to be going. Just FYI, when you read the Gospels, I think there's value in reading them separately and focusing on them. I know that we're going through the book of Mark in our Wednesday night Bible study, and I know the ladies' Bible study on Thursday, they're doing Matthew, and then I'm preaching through Luke, so we've got three of the four kind of covered across the, 
But I think there's value in taking each book individually and studying it that way. That's the vertical approach. But there's also the horizontal approach where we compare and we bring in the full, all four, into the story and study it that way. I think there's value in seeing that because each one of them adds elements that are left out by the other and we get a full picture that way. So there's really value in doing it both ways. The purple candle was lit today, the first Sunday of Advent. Purple today represents royalty. We're talking about a king here. And so as the candle is lit today, it's gonna represent the the royalty of Jesus, that he is our king. Now, how does Matthew present Jesus as king? What's unique about his book that kind of gives us that flavor, that portrait? Well, first of all, is in his genealogy, right off the bat. In fact, Matthew 1.1, here it is. This is how the book starts out. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then it goes into give us, giving us the full from Abraham up to the time of Joseph, the genealogy of Jesus. Why is that significant? Because if you're a king, it's, it's important who you are, where you come from, the line. So Matthew wants us to see that Jesus comes from the line of Joseph, and it's portrayed through the line of his dad. He comes through the line of David, he comes through the line of Abraham. And what's interesting is when he gives the genealogy, he starts with Abraham, goes through David up to the time of Christ, but in verse one, he says he's the Messiah, he's the son of David first. He is the promised Davidic king. Then he's also a Jew. He is the son of Abraham, and that's important too. So it's interesting how he, he gives us that emphasis right off the beginning. Again, he, in his story of the birth of Jesus, he presents the appearance of the angel to Joseph, the father. Luke gives us Mary's account. If you remember, we've preached on that last few Sunday. So the angel appears to Mary, and we get a sense of what was going on in her heart and mind, and that's Luke. He wants us to see what it feels like as a mother of a baby, the human side of Jesus in the story. Then when we come to Matthew, it's what's going on with the dad, Joseph. And so we get the account in the first couple chapters of Matthew of Joseph, and what was going on there as the angel approached him and announced this, and what's he gonna do about it? And you get a sense of that. Um, we also see that today, the wise men. I chose this one specifically because with Luke, we have the shepherds. They came to the manger, the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. I'm gonna talk about what's the difference between them and the wise men. There's a vast difference. They're ver in fact, they're kind of almost opposite of each other, the accounts of who they are and what they represent. That's Luke's account. He wants us to see that right off the bat, everyone is a part of the story of the Christ, including those that would probably, probably be left off your list, quite honestly, shepherds. Then you go to Matthew. This is a king here and we're gonna have these magi traveling several hundred miles to present gifts to a toddler. Okay, it's not a baby anymore, it's a toddler. So what's going on there and why is that important? And Matthew wants us to see because this is a king that they're appearing before. The, when we talk about the story of the wise men, the word that's used in church tradition and history is epiphany. You've probably heard that word in the sense of, I had this epiphany. 
all of a sudden realized it's like the light went on in my head. Well, the word epiphany in church tradition is the climax, really, of the Christmas story. You've heard of the 12 days of Christmas? We have that song and the Christmas carol that we sing with partridges and pear trees and things like that. In church tradition, the 12 days of Christmas starts at Christmas and goes 12 days till January 6th. And it's on that January 6th where the wise men in church tradition visit, and we call it Epiphany. So normally in, in churches on that first Sunday in January, you'd hear the story of the wise men being preached. In fact, I think many, many, many years ago I preached on this story, and I think it was in January, probably on the first Sunday. That's Epiphany. And that idea of sudden realization or insight into something I hope that today as I preach and we hear the story of the wise men that you'll get an epiphany, that you'll see Jesus maybe in a new way or be reminded of something that you already knew, but have it highlighted. So this is epiphany that we're talking about today in church tradition. So let's read the story in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, we've read about that, we've studied that in Luke, right? During the time of King Herod, we'll talk about him. We already have, but we'll go back and review his story. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? We have seen his star. Now, this is different translations. In the east, some of you, but in the NIV, it's when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was... Disturbed. There's a good word. I like that one. What does that mean? And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. What's going on here? In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet, and they're quoting Micah here, this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, wow, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, secretly and kind of deviously, here's what he says, go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Isn't that a lying? Yeah. We know what was going on. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I love that. That's Christmas to me. Joy, overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down, and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I hope today as we read this story, as we can learn from different parts of the story, and I want to start with the star, interestingly enough. What is it about this star that can teach us something? We put stars on top of Christmas trees. There's some stars in the back. Uh, on, the, on the fireplace back there. They're just part of the Christmas symbol. There's, it's significant. So what is it about the star, and why the star in this story? In Numbers 24, verse 17, 
this would have been in the minds of the Magi as they saw and came, saw the star and came to Jerusalem. This is a prophecy by Balaam. Remember the story of Balaam? He had the talking donkey. But the story there was, that's probably how we know Balaam mostly, but the story there is the people of Israel were coming up out of the desert, out of the wilderness to the land. They were getting up alongside of the Jordan River on the east side and they entered into the, the area of Ammon and Moab. And they wiped out the kings of Ammon and so the king of Moab was next and he realized that so he hires this prophet, Balaam. He says, I want you to do something for me. I want you to put a curse on the people of Israel. I need some help here. These people are wiping people out or next. So Balaam, I want you to help us out. So here is a prophecy. Now he met with God and God said, I don't want you to curse the people of Israel. I want you to bless them. So it says there in Numbers, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, this is a prophecy that he made. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. I'm seeing something. This is a prophecy. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. I see him, but he's not now. I behold him, he's not near. This is out there in the future. Something is going to happen, and this star is going to come out of, Jeff, out of Jacob. This scepter, this king, this ruler was going to come out of Israel. Something is going on here. So they would have been aware. This is from their homeland of Persia, which was the land of captivity. The Magi most likely came from that general area and traveled. And so they, in their time, in their studies, they probably would have, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead here. I'm still back in the Old Testament. So they would have been aware of this and they would have known somewhere there's a star. And being astrologers and studying stars, something cued them in that this was not your typical star, something's going on, and this would have been in the back of their minds. The prophecy was understood to point to a messianic deliverer in the future. Now, if you think about it, in the Old Testament, we have Daniel, who was in captivity, Babylonians, Persians. We have Esther, who would have been in captivity there as the queen. We have Ezekiel, the prophet, who spent some time in captivity. We have the synagogues that would have been established during the captivity period where the Jewish people would have been learning, studying their Old Testament scriptures. So all this was at play. But you can go back even further into Genesis, into Genesis 49, verse 10. There's the account towards the end of Jacob's life. He's getting old, and he pronounces a blessing upon his 12 sons. Here's what he says about Judah. Now, Judah's number four in line. Um, he's not the firstborn, <clears throat> but... He is the one through whom Christ will come. So Genesis 49, 10, here's the blessing that Jacob gives to his son. He says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from beneath, between his feet. Scepter, ruler's staff, he's a shepherd, he's a king. Until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. Does that sound like the Christmas message? In Genesis 49.10, it does to me. There's a scepter, there's the staff. He'll be a shepherd, he will lead his people. And when he, to whom it belongs, when he comes, 
Advent, when he arrives, the nations are going to obey him. That's the story of the gospel and the kingdom of God. So Genesis, now in the book of Numbers, the wandering and this prophecy made by this Gentile prophet out in the Moab, something's going on with this star and it's, it's important, and these magi would have clued into this. What was the star? There's the question. There's basically three different views on this one. Number one is it was some kind of astronomical event that was going on that caught their attention as they looked into the sky. And we know from history, you can go back into the historical records, there was an alignment of Jupiter and Venus in around 2 B.C. Significant. Aligning of planets was going on prior to the time of Christ. There was a supernova in 5 BC over China that was recorded. So these astrological events would have been happening, and so, you know, it's a possibility. However, I personally believe it was something beyond that. This was more of, to me, more of a supernatural event. God was using this star to guide these men to the king. Why do I say that? Well, what we're going to see in today's story is this star could appear, disappear, reappear again. It could move and hover right over a house (laughs) and indicate to them exactly where the Messiah was. That doesn't sound like your typical star that you would see up in the sky. There's something going on here beyond that. Some... Biblical theologians feel like this might have been an angel, the brightness of an angel just kind of guiding them. Um, A couple things to, again, when we read the story, sometimes we picture things in our mind that aren't necessarily there. We did the quiz downstairs and had some fun with that. But think about it in the sense of the star is not said to have traveled with them from where they were to Jerusalem. They saw it, and they, know, they knew that it had something to do with a ruler in Israel. So what did they do? Where do you go to find out more? Jerusalem, the capital. Of course, makes sense. If he's king, Jerusalem. It doesn't say the star guided them, although it could have. We don't know. So it could have been just the sign at first and then the guide because from, we do know from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, about a six-mile distance, that it guided them after they left Herod and they found Jesus in the house. There was the star, it went with them, and it stood right over the house, told them exactly which house it was where Jesus was. So it's possible that it was a sign at first and then a guide later on. We don't know for sure. But again, this was God's supernatural work. I find it, it's kind of similar in my thinking to in the desert when God was leading his people Israel. Pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Here we have kind of that same idea. It moved with them. And when the people of Israel would camp, and as long as the cloud and the pillar stayed there, they stayed. When it moved, they moved. That's kind of the way it worked in the desert, and that was God's guidance. Very similar to this story of the wise men, how they... Learn. So what can we learn from the star? There's an interesting question. A couple things. Number one, God uses whatever light is there to lead men to him. When men search for God, he provides a teacher. 
we know from Scripture that there are basically five witnesses to God. First of all, and the most primary one, is creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've been talking about that in the book of Genesis in our Sunday school class. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, the heavens just declare the glories of God. When you look at the stars, when you look at nature, anything God's created, it's just a declaration of God and the glory of God. And then Romans chapter 1. Paul tells us that creation is such a clear pointer to God that he mentions it's, it's plain and it's clearly seen so that men are without excuse. They can't say to God, we never saw you. Yeah, you did. It's called creation. Look around. The heavens declare the glory of God. So it starts with creation, but it goes on. It needs to go on from there, right? Romans 2 speaks of conscience. The law is written in their hearts. He's speaking to the Jewish people of the Gentile people. He says they, even though they don't have the law, or maybe they just don't pay attention to it, in their conscience, they have it written on their hearts. They know right and wrong. That's an indicator that can lead us towards God. That's, we call these general revelation, creation, conscience. But we need more. It has to go beyond that. We have the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world today, drawing men and women and people to God. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. He's drawing people in. We have creation, conscience. We have the Holy Spirit. We have evangelists, people that speak of the word. And we have the word itself, the most important, the most specific thing. Hebrews chapter 10, Romans 10, faith comes by hearing, we listen to people speak, the evangelists, and hearing from the word of God. Creation, conscience, the Holy Spirit. We have evangelists, people sharing the good news, and we have the word of God. Five ways that God leads us towards himself. You know, it's not enough just to admire, study, or compare with other lights. They could have done that. The wise men go, that's a really cool star. Let's do some scientific analysis of it and, and compare it to others. They didn't do that. They said, something's going on. We need to find out more. And so they went to Jerusalem and started asking some pretty good questions. But the star only can, can, and creation can only take you so far. That's what happened with it. They got to Jerusalem, but they needed more, didn't they? And they had the Old Testament then, the Hebrew Scriptures, and in Micah 5.2 is the prophecy of Micah that said, Here's where he's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, Herod was a little bit stressed, and we'll talk about him there a little bit. He didn't know about this verse, but the word of God was clearly leading. So with us, creation conscience can only take us so far. We need the word of God. We need to hear the word of God spoken to us to give us that clear, specific, special revelation from him to come to enter relationship with him. So what about the Magi? What do we learn from them? Who were they? Maybe we'll start with that question. Were they three kings of Orient are? As we sing in our carol. Now, why do we think in terms of kings? Well, there is a verse in Psalm 72, verses 10 to 11, that speak of kings coming and presenting gifts 
And here it is. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Saba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. So I think this is where the idea that these magi were kings and they were bringing gifts to the Messiah, to Jesus. Um, in fact, we've given them names in tradition. We have Melchior, Caspar, and Balthazar, I think. I don't even know how to pronounce them. But they're given names in tradition. In the Eastern tradition, you have 12 wise men. In the Western tradition, you have three wise men. Why? Well, because we don't really know how many there were. They probably traveled in a group, quite honestly, as people did in those days. The reason why the Western tradition says three is because of the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. With the Eastern tradition, I'm not sure where the number 12 comes from, but it's a little bit different there. But were they kings? Most likely not. Uh, magi, the actual word there is astrologers that perf could perf been performers of magic. There's kind of the good and bad of this. In their culture, there were those that studied the stars in astrology. In fact, if you go back in history, Zoroastrianism, how's that for a... It came out of Persia, that area of the world. It's still around today. It's kind of reformed and takes different names, but studying the stars was a part of it. So we know that they were astronomers. We also know that most likely they, they studied science. They were involved in diplomacy and religion. These were men of importance. These were men that were well-learned, trained, and, but they were studying the skies for signs, and they found one. They were Gentiles. These were people outside of the nation of Israel. They were, we have Gentiles here announcing who Jesus is to Mary and Joseph, whereas in Luke we have Jewish people, the shepherds, announcing who Jesus is to Mary and Joseph. So we're getting both sides of this from the Jewish perspective and the shepherds and the Gentile magi as they come. So the comparison, why the, the difference between the shepherds and the wise men? There's a lot of them. Let me just list a few. The shepherds were close, just a few miles outside of Bethlehem in the, in the fields there. The magi were a long ways away hundreds of miles outside of Israel. They traveled a great distance. Shepherds were Jewish. Magi were Gentile. We've talked about that. Shepherds were on the west. Magi from the east. It's mentioned. Shepherds, poor. Magi, probably well-to-do or at least middle class at, at least. Whole different class. Shepherds, greatly disrespected. They slept out in the fields. We talked about that in the book of Luke. People looked down their nose at shepherds. They didn't even trust them. They thought of shepherds as a bunch of thieves and who can trust what they say anyway. Why did God choose shepherds to make the announcement of his Messiah? Hmm, that's Luke. Now we have magi. These are well-respected, highly. They looked up. These were the educated in the culture. Very different. They came to, the shepherds came to the manger where he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. That was the sign that the angels gave the shepherd. The wise men, in verse 11, 
of Matthew 2, it says they came to a house. So that we know for, that this was not the manger and he was not in the main, this was not the inn or where he started out, but they had moved to a house. This was further along in his life. Um, he was, we see Herod looking for, as you know the rest of the story, how he kills babies that are ages two and less. He's thinking that Jesus is somewhere in that age frame, somewhere probably between one and two, just as a toddler. So we have a very different look, don't we, between wise men and shepherds. So what can we learn from the Magi? Number one, they sought Jesus in their time, verse one. This was a time-consuming trip. It's estimated it was about 900 miles, give or take, depending on what part of that area of the world, but it was a significant, it would have taken months to get everything put together for this long journey. Um, It didn't just happen immediately, but they began the process of figuring out how can we get from here to Jerusalem to find out who this king is. It was a sacrificial trip. There's fatigue, expense, danger, leaving things behind, putting everything else aside. Think about it. Probably gone for, we don't know, several days, weeks, months, but this was a very sacrificial trip that they made. This was important to them. They wanted to figure this out. They sought Jesus in their testimony. As they came to Herod there, they said two things about Jesus in verse two. He's born king of the Jews, and we've come to worship him. Whoa. He's born king of the Jews. Why is that significant? Well, I want to point to Herod for a second. Herod was the appointed king of the Jews. That was his title, but it was one that was given to him by the Roman authority at the time, and he had done everything he could to gain that, and he did everything he could to keep that. And so here comes these, I don't know how many, magi from the east saying, where is he who is born king of the Jews? This is different. This is someone who is of royal line. He's the one who fulfills the Old Testament, Herod. He's not you who just been given this to pacify those people over there in Israel by the Romans. This is someone who was born king of the Jews. He is rightly, it's been given to him by God. This is the promised king. So here's Herod going, uh-oh, there's a threat to my kingdom, to myself, to my position of authority here, there's a problem. We have come to worship him, they said. This is more than just a political figure, a royal figure, this is a God figure. We've come to worship him. That word worship there is a deity word, giving honor to a deity, to God. So this is significant, and it says, Herod was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Herod, Herod was an interesting guy. He had his, one of his wives, he had many, and he had a couple of his sons just killed because he felt threatened by them. He was very paranoid. Anyone that he saw as a threat, he would just have them killed. In fact, there's a famous quote by Caesar Augustus. He said, um, I would rather be Herod's pig than his sons. How's that? He, He knew this guy. He goes, he's not all there. 
I would rather be out in the barn as one of his pigs than one of his kids because he's killed two of them. Um, there's just something wrong with him. And he was greatly disturbed. And then it says, all Jerusalem with him, meaning this. The Jewish authorities, those that worked alongside Herod, when he's disturbed, guess what? We're going to be disturbed. Things aren't going to go well with us. And so he's calling all of them in and going, okay, we need to do some research into the Old Testament here and find out about this king that I've been hearing about. Now, the Jewish rulers would have known Micah 5 too. They would, and they brought it to his attention. Yeah, we know about that. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. He's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, and he's going to be a king there, Herod. So what was going on there is there was probably some uncertainty as they brought that information to him. Is like, how is he going to respond? Is he just going to kill us like he did his sons and his wife? What's going on? So there's this unsettledness. What I love about the Magi is just their bold proclamation. They didn't care. They didn't. Didn't care what Herod thought or anybody thought. They just said, we're looking for a king here and we want to worship him. There's a verse in 2 Timothy, a couple verses in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 and 8. Here's what it says about, we need to have a bold proclamation. It says, the spirit of God does not give us, it does not make us timid. It's not given us a spirit of fear, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline, okay? So we have the spirit. The spirit of God gives us he doesn't make us timid. He gives us courage. So, so what? Verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed to proclaim what you know to be true about Jesus or of me, his prisoner, Paul's saying to Timothy. Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This bold proclamation as Christians, we know who Jesus is and we know that he's going to be with us. We can boldly proclaim what we know to be true regardless of what people might think or say or what the situation might be. And that's the message I think we can learn from these magi. They sought Jesus in their total obedience. They saw the star. Like I said, they didn't just sit around and think about what's that mean. They went. They traveled an immense distance, hundreds of miles to find out. They acted upon God's word. But what's interesting in the story is they, as these Jewish leaders and scribes and teachers of the law learned about Jesus and learned about Bethlehem. It's interesting, they didn't go. They stayed there in Jerusalem. It was the wise men who continued on. They stayed. They didn't follow after him. One can go to church. One can know the facts. They knew, yeah, there's going to be a ruler at some point born out there in Bethlehem. They knew about this stuff, but they didn't act on it. And that's what the Magi tell us. It's, obe it's about obedience and following the Lord. The star was leading to Jesus. The word of God leads to Jesus. The star had gotten them there. They knew that something was going on in Jerusalem, but it was Micah 5.2 that said exactly where he was. And then they followed the star from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem. In verse 10, there was just this abundant joy when they found him. This beautiful, this is it. We've heard about this. We, you know, we've studied this. We've, we've traveled all this way. Here we are. This is the one. So there was just this outpouring of joy. And then finally in verse 11 and 12, they sought Jesus in their treasure. They worship him. This is, they're venerating, they're bowing down to, to deity here. 
they don't fully understand who this is, but they know this is someone important, and we'd best be worshiping and bowing down to him. Then, it's interesting, the Magi worship only, they worship only the child. And it mentions Mary in this account. Joseph isn't even mentioned here in Matthew. So again, the focus here is on this little toddler, which would have been really strange. Again, it's part of what Mary treasured and pondered. Remember in Luke, she valued these things and then she started putting pieces of a puzzle together, pondered. Hmm. These three magi, they travel all these hundreds of miles, they have these gifts, and they bow down to this little boy. And again, it's not, they're not there worshiping Mary. We talked about that. It's not worship of Mary here. It's worship of Jesus very clearly in Scripture. And again, it's interesting that Joseph isn't mentioned. doesn't mean he wasn't there. He probably was. But the focus is on the child. They give him these gifts, these beautiful gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Gold, obviously, is the most precious of all metals, even today. And customarily in their time, this would have been a gift given to kings. So this is a gift for a king, very clearly. And in giving him gold, what would a, what would a two-year-old do with gold? Well, parents could use it, right? Because they're going to be traveling to Egypt here pretty quick. They're going to need some money for a travel out of town. But why do you give gold to a little toddler? That's an interesting thing, isn't it? But this is a king here. This isn't just a toddler Frankincense, incense used in temple worship, it represents deity. This is something used in the worship of God. So that's very clearly, this is deity here. He is the Lord. Then it's, and one of the commentaries said this, infinity in the infant. I love that. They saw it. Infinity in the infant. Then myrrh, spice for burial. Cookie downstairs mentioned this that it was a spice, but when you crushed it, it became, it had that smell, and it was used as a preparal, sorry, that isn't even a word, as, a per, <laughs> as something you would use in preparation for burial. It smelled good, and it, and it helped to overcome the, the odors that would be associated with death. So it's a very interesting thing to bring to a toddler, something that would be used at someone's death, burial, and we know the story of the resurrection. This speaks of Christ as our Savior, his death, burial, and resurrection for us. He's Jesus who will save his people from their sin. He's our sin bearer. So we have, he's king, he's Lord, and he's Jesus. That's interesting, Luke, in Luke 2, 11, the angel announces to the shepherd, Savior who is Christ the Lord. Same thing. Savior, that's Jesus, that's his human name. He's gonna die for our sins. He's Christ, he's king, anointed one. And he's Lord, he's God, Lord Almighty. Same three titles associated with the three gifts. There's a picture of Christ in these gifts that mirror the pictures in the Gospels, and I wanted to kind of bring that out, just kind of a close, then I'm gonna go into communion. But we see... Christ is king, the gold is presented. We've already talked about that. There's this frankincense. This would be given in worship in the temple. Jesus is God. That's the book of John. We're gonna look at that on the fourth Sunday of December. Then we have myrrh, preparation for burial. 
death, burial, resurrection. In Mark, we're gonna see Jesus as the servant who gave his life as a ransom for many. In Luke, he's a son of man who came to seek and to save those that are lost. So there's man here, he's savior. And the, all of those are presented here in these gifts and we can see that in who Jesus is. Wise men still seek him. You see that on bumper stickers? Second Peter 3.18, this has become for me a life verse. I wanted to kind of close, well not close, but think about this one a little bit. Just as the wise men trekked across the desert, sinners need to come to him. Leave behind what was, follow him, and find out who he is. That is the story of the gospel. Those that don't know him need to make that journey to him. But us as believers, seeking Christ, following Christ, is a lifelong endeavor. And this verse speaks to me and is important to me. Here's what it says, grow, okay? Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's those words again, isn't it? Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. It's there, that's the Christmas story. To him be glory both now and forever, amen. What do I mean by this verse? What I mean is, it isn't just coming into relationship with Christ and coming to know him as your savior. That's great, that's where it starts, that's new life. Without that, there is separation from God for all eternity. However, it doesn't, the story doesn't end there. When I come to know Christ, I grow. And I understand more and more all the time, what, it, what does grace mean? And who is this Jesus? Growing grace and knowledge, understanding of who Jesus is. I wanna encourage you to continue to have epiphanies about who Jesus is. Because there's so much of him that we, we go, well, I, kinda, I know him. Well, yeah, we do. But there's so much more that we can know about him. So I just pray that God uses his Advent season to teach those things to all of us. We all need that. Wise men still worship him. I love that picture. Just as the wise men, they put their treasures at his feet, so we need to put our treasures there. The things that we value need to go there to him. We need to offer them up in worship to him as our king. The wise men return back to their land telling everybody. The news probably went out just like the shepherds. And we need to be about that, telling the story of Jesus as we move along. 